Credence Energy Services, Kevin Black. All right. Thanks you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks you. Boy, nothing like starting an interview off with getting your foot in, <laughs> foot in your mouth and a fat tongue. So anyway, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. We're, uh, we're out in Western North Dakota, um, checking out a few locations and some of the offices out here. So uh, a busy, another busy day. And now it's been a while since we've talked here on the program, but I'm going to see if my memory serves me right. You're out of Minot, but you, you are going to Williston, Watford City, and, and down even probably into Dickinson, huh? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we have an office in Minot, but our main base of operations all come out of Williston. Uh, our customers are spread out all across the Bach and everywhere from Tioga down to uh, down to Dickinson and everywhere in between. So uh, we're, we're on the road uh, visiting our customers quite a bit and obviously back and forth between Williston with, with our own team. Is that where you're finding the bulkier work is, is Williston these days? As far as our customer goes, the, the bulk of our business is really kind of following the trend of where the drilling rigs have gone in the last two years since the downturn. And that's really concentrated in the, the Williston Dunn Center area. Uh, but we also have uh, still the core, the bulk of our business is still really uh, between the Williston uh, over to the state line and then back over to the east of Tioga. Okay. Um, and I always like to ask people too, you know, uh, boots on the ground, eye, you know, eye in the sky type. What, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing, um, you know, some of that growth they're talking about? Is it, you know, are we looking at signs of the downturn type of a thing? I'm hearing both sides. So you're, you're actually on the front line. So what are you seeing out there? Well, what we can see from our customers, uh, you know, really going all the way back to third and fourth quarter of 2017 and then really heavily all the way through 2018 our customers were were very very aggressive uh with their drilling and their completion plans uh we primarily focus on the production side but uh, obviously the more wells that are being drilled and completed the more producing wells so our our just our organic growth with our customers was pretty significant uh 2018 was an incredibly busy year it really in a lot of ways felt like we were back in the boom of uh, you know, the 2011-2012 time period. Now, obviously, the last couple months, really since September, we've seen a pretty significant uh, slide in oil prices. Uh, today was another tough day, down about 5%. So with WTI now a little bit below $50, of course, that, that's certainly going to be in, in, the, in the back of people's minds, if not in the forefront. Uh, still, based off even conversations we've had today, our, our customers are still... Uh, planning and uh, aggressively pursuing their drilling programs and we expect them to keep the foot on the throttle as we enter 2019. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on the price of oil if it doesn't stabilize and if we don't see a you know a, a slighter mod modest correction in Q1 and Q2 um, I foresee um, probably perhaps a bit of a pullback but well, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, you know, we'll focus on what we have right now. And, and what we have right now is a pretty busy Bakken, uh, pretty much running on all all cylinders. And really the the price isn't as much of a problem uh, today as it is still the challenges in labor shortage and uh, infrastructure for gas capture. You know, and this is – you certainly don't have to answer this question, but um... – do, do they ever, do, do the oil companies or the energy companies 
ever give you a price range that okay business is going to slow down once it hits 40 bucks or 30 bucks or 45 or anything like that or and i don't even know if they would even know um that type of thing but do those conversations ever happen you know just kind of you know kind of where you have to start kind of having a heads up for you know if prices get to a certain point yeah absolutely um you know not not often do our customers come out right and and tell us here at this price point we're gonna we're gonna cut back our drilling program these are very fluid conversations um internally for them and things can literally change by the day and the week uh but generally speaking internally our customers have a i i believe have a very very solid understanding of at what point they are profitable and at what point they are, they are not um you know, we're still in a range that I would say most operators would say they're still profitable um, and going to continue to invest. Obviously, I, I would I know that most of them would prefer to be above where we're at right now um, with WTI being, like I said, just dipping below $50 a barrel. I'm sure most would be much more comfortable at 60 or above. But um, once we start getting below 40, uh, that's when there's the really – significant pause for concern although as you know jason uh, during the downturn uh, the industry made significant strides in becoming much more efficient being able to do a lot more with less lowering their overall cost for drilling and completing wells lower the overall uh, costs for for lifting um, so they can certainly operate in a lower price environment but um, certainly would probably everybody would like to be a little higher than we where we are today yeah no and you're right about that um i just remember back when it was it was 30 bucks the bakken was still putting out a million barrels a day now that doesn't mean any, that doesn't mean anybody was making money but um you know because a lot of these oil companies they, they, they don't want to shut these these rigs and the momentum down because once they do that who knows when they're going to start it back up again? Because they got to go find the crews and they got to go find the personnel and get the logistics back working again. As you know, so they'll you know they'll break even, and companies like yourself will probably even sharpen your pencil from time to time if it dips below a certain point and that sort of thing. But um, so you kind of that forty dollars, but fifty the the um, thoughts at least start happening. I, I would bet, yeah. So. Um, well, yeah, and, and just to follow up with this, is, yeah. you know, the, the oil and gas industry certainly not, you know, for the faint of heart, and we're really playing a long-term game with this. You're exactly right that we, we're in a, we are in a massive job shortage because so many of those folks with significant in industry experience were either let go or had to find other work uh, during the downturn. I think a lot of companies are going to be cognizant of that. Um, if if oil continues to slide, not not to say that it will, not to speculate, but I mean, you, workforce is so valuable, and it's what's been really holding us back for the last year and a half here. And I don't think a lot of service companies and, oper and operators are going to want to let good, valuable people go um, in, a, in a knee jerk reaction. Again, I think people who are here are here to stay for the long term. No, I agree. Um, Kevin Black, Credence Energy Services. Um, I, I want to circle back to that job market um, or the job workforce. I, I had a great conversation with uh, Michelle Comer, the uh, North Dakota Labor Commissioner, and I kind of want to 
fold that into the conversation. But uh, first, before, just uh, tell the audience uh, quickly uh, what it is your company does, how, how you fit into the whole oil and gas puzzle. Yeah, you bet. So we're, we're a oil and gas uh, chemical service provider. We primarily focus on production chemicals. The best way you can think of what we do is we're like the doctors and the pharmacists of the oil field. Uh, just as the human body uh, over time starts to uh, break down and have issues, uh, you go to the doctor, you take blood work, uh, they diagnose you, and they put you on a prescription. Same thing happens with us. As these oil wells break down, they're susceptible to things like corrosion, metal loss, um, mineral scale deposition, which essentially plugs up plugs up uh, the flow lines and the tubulars uh, below surface. And what we do is we go out and grab samples of the, the water, uh, the brine, primarily the brine, sometimes the gas and the oil. And what we do is we run that through our lab, try to predict what type of problems might happen, and prescribe a chemical solution that we treat the well on a regular basis with uh, to essentially extend the runtime and make that well uh, a more profitable operation. Okay, and I'm glad that you explained it like that because your job, uh, your 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 job essentially has been created because of the latest shale bloom boom. Is that is that fair to say? Because there's been a whole new bunch of industries that have have kind of popped up because of the new new technology that has come with this. Um, is is that? I mean, how, how much of your company is is part of that old? school non-horizontal drilling or has yours kind of been been kind of created because of the horizontal drilling well it uh a little bit of both uh certainly production chemistries have been used in oil and gas right uh, right since since it since rockefeller started uh but we uh during this boom uh we are faced with new challenges that We've had we've actually pioneered solutions here in North Dakota as an industry right. that um, they haven't had to deal with in the past. Uh, our water, the the brine that is produced along with the oil, is is uh, concentrated with with minerals such as iron and calcium. Salt is a big problem, and it's also very corrosive brine too. So we've had to develop technologies, um, chemistries, application methods in the Bakken um, that really are new. Um, just to, to tackle just the the sheer harshness harshness excuse me of, of Bach and Bryant and so yeah and and my point for that was um, more just the outlining the technology and how it's kind of changed some things you know and the uh, on the flip side of it you know you've got software technology and you've got yes. drone technology you've got sensors um, one of the things that is kind of what is becoming more of a reality every day, especially as you know we, we talk here in the winter time. Um, the, the Bakken has got some competition. There's some other shale plays going on, but now with some of the remote working stations and some of the remote sensors, some people don't even necessarily have to to um, live here. Um, you're you're somebody that lives out there and works out there every day. Um, is is that part growing? Are people buying homes? Do you know what I mean? Because uh, Michelle Comer and I were talking. You know, there's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of competition. Um, we've talked over the years about the amount of investment going into Watford City and Williston and Tioga, Minot, for that matter, Dickinson. Yeah. Um, are, are you are you seeing families sticking around? You know, I mean, um, are, are you seeing that, or are most of these people just you know waiting? 
for pr prices to drop below a certain amount, and then they'll go back to Oklahoma, I guess, or whatever. But um, do you do you know my what, what my yeah, you know I'm, absolutely yeah. absolutely. And there, there's a there's a couple different layers uh, to that question, which are really good. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, we have to always be cognizant of the fact that we are in absolutely in competition uh, for for resources, for human human resources, for capital. We're in competition for all those really critical things to develop this oil play with Texas um, and with other plays, not just in the United States, but across the world. Um, so we have to keep that in mind when we're talking about policy, when we're talking about taxation, uh, when we're talking about regulation. Uh, those are all really important things to make sure that investors are looking at North Dakota to send their capital to develop oil here rather than other places. Um, when it comes to the human uh, human resources, human capital side of it, we we are we are still really in need of people to come to North Dakota. Um, as as this industry, as the oil and gas sector, what I truly believe is coming more of a true industry in our state. Uh, there's there's all the infrastructure that goes along with it. There's the gas processing facilities. There's the pipelines. Um, there's all the things that are on the production end where we need people who are here for the long haul. Um, there's always going to be that faction that, that come in, um, you know, the, the frat crews or the drilling crews that might be based in Colorado or Texas that'll come here and do their stint to go home. And that's fine. Um, that's not a bad thing. We need those people to bring their talents and their expertise to North Dakota and share that with North Dakota. But as time goes on, the, the population of people who are here permanently and who are going to build careers and put roots down, set, uh, raise families, send those kids to schools, that population is only going to continue to grow. Yeah, you bring up a good point that I, I forget about oftentimes is um, the, the amount of infrastructure that's going to be built over the next 10, 15 years. I mean, you take a look at you know just what Hess has on the books to be built, the Davis Refinery, over yep. in Belfield, um, One Oak, uh, the expansion that they're doing to their gas plants. And that's not even talking about the pipelines. That's not talking about the roads. Uh, I mean, the, the western North Dakota roads, some of those are actually being built for cars for the first time ever. I mean, but, but, but well, before they were like built for, you know, a couple combines a year and that was it. Yep. I yeah, mean, absolutely. people, people don't understand that, that there, a heavy rain actually would take the roads off the, uh, off of the, you know, take the cement off the roads. Um, so yeah, I, I see, I think that's a good thing. Cause when you, you, you have construction like that, your population is going to just grow based on that. Um, right. when, when you have that much available work that's going on. In fact, I was just talking to a um, guy the other day in Fargo, and they, they're going out to Bismarck for work because uh, work's kind of drying up on the eastern side of the state. So they're going out west to find work. So that, that tells you where it is. But one of the things, um, I reason I kind of am asking these questions is um, I agree with you that the oil industry is here to stay. It is, to me, I, I, I say it's just like ag now. It's based on a price. If the, if, if the price of wheat is something, well, the farmers are going to plant wheat. If the price of corn is this, well, the pri the farmers are going to plant corn. Well, if, if the price of oil is, is this, they can drill this many wells. If it's if it's the price of this, they can drill this many wells. And that's really where it's at. It's, it's almost um, predictable, but it's not because... <laughs> it's it's the oil industry it'll never be predictable but um 
What, what, what do you see on this in terms of where do you see the industry going? Um, do you see it being sustained like to where it, it, it's going to be something where you can, you know, sustain a business on that type of thing? Or do you still see the boom bust that's already there? I mean, the boom bust that was there before. Well, I, I think you'll always have a bit of both, but I think that the portion that is going to be growing and most prevalent down the road is the more sustainable and stable uh, components of the business, right? Um, you're you're 100% right. Price, I mean, we're dealing with a global commodity, so we're always going to be subject to that commodity price, and that's largely going to drive investment. Um, and that investment uh, is going to make an impact on how many rigs we have drilling and how many wells we're completing. But we still have now, uh, we still, and I think we're right up against 14,000 wells, uh, according to Lynn Helm's last uh, director's cut report. We're almost to 14,000 wells, which is remarkable. And those wells are going to be produced, you know, despite the ups and downs. Um, companies like Oasis are making, you know, phenomenal investments into gas plants. Um, so I, I just, I really don't. There, there will always will always be subject somewhat, you know, to that price fluctuation. But this is, I, I believe, a, an industry that's going to be long lasting in North Dakota. Uh, we can be we can be excited about this industry, um, and I think you know we just have to realize that we are in competition though with with other with other plays such as Texas uh, for for attracting investment. Well, I think that's one of the biggest. Um pieces of this whole story that needs to be told a little bit more that, you know, it's great to rah, rah, rah and, and, and talk about the things that are going good. But at the same time, you're, you're right. There's some serious competition out there. I mean, um, North Dakota, what, what do we got? 15,000 jobs available, something like that. I mean, that... you know, and it's a, and it's a lot. And to put it in perspective right now, one in every five jobs in the state of North Dakota are energy related. So that really puts things into perspective in, in the fact that energy is oil and gas is really um, making a permanent stand here in North Dakota. Well, and the thing about oil and gas is they're the only industry in the last decade. So when you take a look at all the different industries, the tech industry, the, the entrepreneur wave that we had, um, you know, all these different things, the only industry that has got a net gain of jobs over the last decade is the mining industry, which is what oil and gas is in. And oil and gas has driven this thing. Is They're the only industry that's that's actually gained jobs over the last decade. So when, when you think about a state like North Dakota that's trying to get to that next level in so many different ways, whether it be the flood diversion project on the east side or whether it's infrastructure that needs to be built on the west side or whatever it is, they need the they need the energy industry. They need it. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know the exact number as it stands right now, but nearly half of all the state revenues are coming directly or indirectly from oil and gas. So when it when it comes to this state and funding the state's needs, like whether you said whether it's water projects um, or or other uh, human health and human services, whatever it might be, higher education, all these things. Oil and gas is feeding, is driving a lot of those tax dollars their way. Um, so, so we need to, so we need to uh, make sure that we're we're creating responsible, 
uh, regulations, but we're not driving, you know, investment other places. You know, and the other thing that people forget about, especially on the east side of the state, and I think a lot of legislators forget about this too. We don't really get too political on this program, but what we do do on this program is we have a lot of people on that donate money, that mm-hmm. that give money to the local schools, that donate a million dollars to Wadford City's emergency services so they can have a new hospital wing, that, that type of thing. And in addition to paying their taxes, in addition to all of that, they still give millions of dollars to the local community. Imagine if they didn't give that money to the local communities. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, they, I, I think they have one of the, I think the oil and gas extraction tax is one of the highest in the nations, actually. It is. Yeah. yeah. You know, between the extraction and the production tax, we're at, you know, an effective tax rate of 10%. On, yeah. on, on every barrel that's produced. There's no other industry in the state of North Dakota that gets taxed at that level. So to me, that, um, that that's one of the biggest stories is that the oil and gas industry pays so much money in taxes. And then on top of that, they're also paying for the Little League softball jerseys and the Wadford City uh, MRI wing. And the, I, I don't know what Hess is paying for to my not, but I'm sure it's quite a bit. Uh, I mean, companies like Hess and, you know, all, all the Whiting, Oasis, I, I hate to even start naming names, but when you when you put all the oil companies together and the service companies, unfortunately, those don't always get the headlines um, they're, because they're not controversial and they probably don't get a bunch of clicks. But what they give back to the community is really phenomenal uh, in the way of schools, hospitals, um, everything. I, I mean, I, I'm amazed at it. Like I said, I mean, when, when you actually take a step back and think they pay that much in taxes and yet they still give that much more beyond that, where's, I mean, that, that that's when you can get political and say, well, where's all that tax money going then that they're not, I mean, you know, and then that's, that's a whole other issue because then you got to realize you got to give it to the state and then the state divvies it up and then politics gets involved and then you jump out the window. Um, anyway, so, um, well, you, you are, are, you're not getting, are you going to get into politics? You kind of sound like you're, um, your, your voice is getting down that path a little bit. And I saw you did an ad for, um, for, uh, th- this political season or is, is that, uh, something you've been approached or are you thinking about it? Well, we were happy to do the ad for, uh, <clears throat> Kevin Kramer, uh, what he's done for small business in particular, strip the oil and gas thing away. Um, what he's done to advocate for the uh, for the tax reform bill at the end of last year was absolutely massive um, to allow small companies like ours to uh, to take that money and reinvest it back into our not only just our people but our equipment, our facilities, our research, all of that. It would it would be a drastically different ballgame, I know, for our company if that tax reform hadn't taken place. And I can only and we're just hmm. a small player or a small fish in a big sea, so I can only imagine what it would be like for the rest of the uh, small business out there. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of uh, politics, we, we uh, so we're, we're really squarely focused on the business, but doesn't mean we're not going to uh, make our, our, our voice uh, known uh, in terms of where we stand and, and advocating for small business, advocating for oil, oil and gas. Um, that's something we feel passionate about and, and we'll, tr- we'll continue to play our part, whatever that might be. Uh, moving forward, but we, you know, we obviously want to be involved with the political process. It's an important thing to be involved with. Um, it makes the political process makes a massive impact 
on not just our, our personal lives, but on our professional and our business. And we feel like we need to play our part in that. Well, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I just thought I'd, I'd check to see if you were thinking about running for anything there. You kind of, there's seem... nothing on the, there's nothing on the docket. Okay. <laughs> right okay. Now. Uh, you're going to stay active. Well, that's good. Um, Hey, by the way, did you see what they tried to do in Colorado with the oil and gas? Yeah, it was, it would have been an abs- it would have been a death blow. It literally would have been a death blow to oil and gas in Colorado had they pla- uh, passed uh, their proposition. Uh, the, the number of the proposition is eluding me, but it, it would have effectively killed oil and gas production in the state of Colorado. And I think, it, you know, the proposition was probably very appealing to the environmentalists, uh, but as as they started, I think, to do the financial analysis on the impact of oil and gas on their state, and the lost revenues that they would have had, I think people started to waken up, you know, pretty quick uh, that it was a, it would have been a terrible, terrible proposition, and, and it did fail. So, well, I I think um, people like yourself and some people in the state of North Dakota that are um, that understand, you know, the the importance of the oil industry and the energy industry in the state, I think should pay attention to, to what happened there because I truly believe, okay, I, you know, I, I love a good conspiracy and I believe this is a conspiracy that um, I, I, think it, I think it was a template they're trying, um, much like how some other national groups, because it was a national group that kind of um, drove this, this car in Colorado. They found someone local, you know, to, to do the legwork, yep. but somebody national was driving the car and it just, it, to me, it seemed like template, you know, like, okay, let's try it in Colorado because, you know, they're a pretty earthy granola dirt munching type state, you know, that sort, sort of thing. And um, maybe it'll pass there, maybe not. But I, I could see that being rolled out in different states like North Dakota, maybe, you know what I mean, um, where, where the fracking is a little bit more active than it is in Colorado. Sure. Um, so I, I guess... That's where I'm saying it's conspiracy because I, I think that it is a template and it's going to be tried in other states. Well, the smoking ban, which was successful in North Dakota, that was a national template. Um, that was that was not a group of North Dakota people. That was um, out-of-state people that found North Dakota people, and um, they were successful in many states with that. Um, well, it, there's certainly that those those entities out there that are, are trying to that, that seek out groups within these states. A great example was the uh, the ethics um, ballot measure that passed this year. That was a ballot measure that was uh, over 90, 95% funded from out-of-state entities. Um, the thing, going back to, though, to the, the proposition in Colorado, I think what people have, education goes a long ways. Yeah. And what people have to realize is that, you know, as of this month, we are now a net exporter of oil and we are exporting more than we're importing. And that, I mean, that is phenomenal for, for our country. We are no longer beholden on countries that are very much adversaries, if not enemies of ours. And we're able to produce this oil. We're not beholden to those folks in the, you know, across the globe and in the middle East. Um, that plays massive consequences on our, our own U S budget when it comes to defense spending, when it comes to, a whole bunch of things. So this is a good thing. And taking stabs at like they tried to do in Colorado, that 
that that may, has a negative consequence on our overall oil production. It has a negative consequence on our energy independence and uh, a lot of our policy at the federal level. I mean, I tell you, I, I've been accused of being extreme and, you know, taking things too far and that sort of thing. But I tell you, that measure in Colorado was scary. It, it, it was really scary because, well, Whiting, my, my guess is Whiting wouldn't have stuck around Denver too much longer. Um, I, I know there was there were several other energy companies that I talked to that were going to leave Denver if that passed because there was no reason for them to be there anymore. I mean, they, they, they couldn't even get their bills, you know, keep the lights on by having, a, you know, something in the DJ Basin going or anything like that. But uh, anyway, sorry, man. I, um, <laughs> I, I, I just was uh, I, I brought it up mostly just to kind of make people aware in case it is a template, in case my, you know, my tinfoil hat conspiracy is accurate. <laughs> And, um, you know, come in the next election, you know, maybe it will pop up in Alaska. Maybe it will pop up in, you know, Washington, you know, some more of the liberal states where, you know, something like that could pass. But, um, uh, hey, are are you just doing business in the Bakken? Are you going anywhere, any any other shale plays? I know you're, you know, North North Dakota born and bred company. So I I don't know if you're, you know, up to the Halliburton size yet or if you're still, you know, the mom and pop shop. (laughs) No. No, we're not to the Halliburton size. Uh, we're we're uh, we're at the Creedence size right now, and we're we're growing. Um, I think last time I talked to you, Jason, I can't remember exactly. I think it was almost a year ago. About a year ago, more. yeah, yep. yeah. We about a year ago we had just 16 employees. Um, at the end of this year, we'll have uh, about 45 employees. Wow! So so we've more than more than doubled, almost tripled, uh, pressing up against 50. We've experienced a lot of growth. We're really excited about that. Uh, our focus is the Wilson Basin. It's our bread and butter. Um, that being said, there, there is a demand for our services down in, in uh, the Permian. And so okay. that is an option that's on the table. We're excited about that. Um, we're starting to kind of put some of the preliminary uh, wheels in motion, if you will. But our focus is, is the Bach, and it always will be. Um, it's our backyard. Uh, we, we know the we know the... The water chemistry, uh, we know um, the customers, uh, and so this is where this will always be our home. Yeah, and that's a totally different shale play too down in Texas. That's a, it's a they have dry gas down there, and the the land is a little bit different, you know that sort of thing um, than up in the Bakken. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Um, what was that? I was going to ask you about. Uh, Oh, well, I forgot on that one. Shoot. Oh, well, I was, I was looking at the clock there and seeing seeing the time kind of coming. Um, you know, in addition to, you know, doing the daily radio shows that we have in the Bakken, um, you know, we do a podcast. We podcast these interviews as well. And then we've got a daily radio show that um, we're starting after the first of the year down in uh, the Black Hills and in eastern oh. Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, that's why I was seeing if you if you do any business down in that ne- neck of the woods type of a thing because um, we've got different different landing spots now for okay for all all these different interviews. Oh, I remembered I was going to ask you. Um, you're you're one of the owners of the company, right? Or are you the Correct. owner or one of the owners? Uh, it's a family owned company, actually. I okay. own it with uh, two of my other cousins, actually. All right, now I could be bringing up some new information here. If I am, I apologize, but. Uh, back, back back when I had employees, um, back when I had my publishing company, um, ab- around this time of year, especially around Christmas, 
Um, I think the most I ever had was seven employees. And um, I just could never get over the fact that I was responsible for all their Christmases, that I had to make sure all the bills were paid and everything else like that because I had all these families that were relying on a Christmas, and I was right at the center of making sure that happened. Does, does that ever dawn on you as a business owner? How many, you know, you, you go from 16 to 45, man, you're taking care of a lot of families. Yeah, it's, it's probably um, one of the biggest things that weighs on my mind. Um, every single day when I wake up, it's one, it's, it's one of the things that gets me motivated and, and going in the morning every day is knowing that, you know, over 40 people have put their faith in this company. Many of, many of the people that work at Credence, uh, came from very, very well-paying jobs, came from great companies, uh, and left that because they believed in what we were doing over here. And that is a massive responsibility that I have to honor, honor that and um, deliver for them. Um, we have an amazing team, but it's never lost on me. Um, in some cases, the sacrifices they made because they believed in this company, um, but just putting their, their family's well-being you know, in the company's hand from a financial perspective, that, that's never lost on me. I think about it all the time. Um, it's one of the reasons why we don't wait till Q1 to do our bonuses for the year. We, we do our bonuses before Christmas because Christmas is always a, an important time of year. And, you know, that bonus before Christmas goes a long ways. Um, it's an expensive time of year. But, um, yeah, it, it, it absolutely is something that is on my mind all the time. Yeah, and it's certainly, you know, and I don't think a lot of people understand this, and this is why I kind of wanted to bring it up is that, you know, when you start talking about companies that are, say, under 100 employees, um, biz, uh, business decisions are not impulsive and, they, and they're, they're not, they, they don't come lightly because you generally know most of your employees and you know, you know their families. So it's like, you know, yeah. each business decision, you're thinking of how this is going to impact you know, all these other employees and that sort of thing. I mean, I would imagine. I mean, it was when I was when I had employees, so I would imagine it'd be the same with you. Well, it is. We're, we're a very tight-knit company. Um, you know, we all know each other's names. And like you said, in a lot of cases, we get to know each other's families very well. And it, it does really seem like a family. So, yeah, every business decision, it, it's, it's very carefully evaluated because we know that it's not just Kevin on the line here. It's, it's 40... 40 plus families that are, you know, depending on a paycheck, um, every other week from us. So it's, yeah, it's always there. <laughs> I tell you. All right. Well, we're going to wrap her up here. We got, uh, Kevin Black with, uh, Credence Energy. It's services, right? Cre- Credence services. Energy services. Services. Yep. Okay. Not solutions. Services. And, uh, just kind of final thoughts. Anything you want to, um, talk about anything you want to uh, repeat reiterate or uh anything we missed i kind of like to give guests the final floor the final thought if you will so uh the floor is yours sir well thanks again jason for for having us on it was good to visit with you and catch up i think the biggest takeaway is for those who are in the industry what i'm about to say is pretty commonplace but for those perhaps um outside of the the willison basin um it's just important to understand what an incredible resource we have in our backyard. We literally have a world-class oil and gas play here. This is not small potatoes. This is absolutely world-class, but that comes with some pretty significant challenges ahead of us that 
could turn into massive opportunities for entrepreneurs and small business across the state. Um, right now, if you think about it, we're only extracting anywhere from 5 to 8% of the oil that's actually in the rock. Um, and every single percentage of oil that we increase that by through additional technologies, advanced technologies, represents billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, in investment and uh, back to the state. So there is so much opportunity and so much potential for, for entrepreneurs, to, for bright minds to, to be a part of this industry, uh, to be part of the solution to figure out how do we take it from, you know, 8% recovery to 10% to 12% to 14%. Um, we, we are still in the early, early innings of this ballgame. You know, by many people's measure, we're only about a third of the way through the life of the Bakken. And as we continue to find technological advances that increase that oil percentage recovery, the ball game gets extended into extra innings. So uh, I would just encourage folks, uh, if, you, if you don't know anything about oil and gas or you're curious, go to the North Dakota Petroleum Council's website. There's phenomenal resources on there to, to get educated. I think when we're all educated, uh, more educated about oil and gas, uh, people have a, a deeper respect for oil and gas, a deeper respect for what we do and the role that we play in the state. So uh, that's uh, that's about all I can tell you today, Jason. Just uh, wish you and all your listeners a, a Merry Christmas, and we'll hope to see you here in the new year.